Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Patrick Igwe, and I am a representative from Passion Incubator. I want to thank everyone for joining this session um, with Felix Daco, um, who is the startup scout at Catapult VC. So we would be having a five minute interval to allow others um, who have registered to be in this session join us. So I just um, plead for a five minute um, interval for others to join. Thank you and enjoy. So without further ado, I would like to bring Mr. who is the head tech ecosystem venture sourcing at FCMB to give us a little bit of an introduction before we bring in Felix Daco, who apparently we have waited for and would love to hear him speak. So Mr. Biodun, it's over to you, sir. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm sorry, Patrick. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you all on this call. Uh, we've been looking forward to hearing from Felix um, and to share of his experience in the VC world and to guide you know, our community of startups and entrepreneurs in the best way that they should uh, approach venture capital investment, especially at this time where there's so much uncertainty in the market and there's all manner of predictions going on. Um, I think this is just um, the right fit for the current uh, uh, you know, ecosystem that we find ourselves when it comes to venture capital. I remember just a few days ago, uh, the, one of the most popular accelerator you know, released some set of rules that kind of shook the, the ecosystem a bit. And that was that I'm referring to YC, you know, where they predicted that certain things would begin to happen and they were not encouraging things, you know, within the venture capital space. Uh, so it's really a pleasure to have, you know, this series. Um, I'll just finally quickly speak about uh, our work at FCMB and how we are you know, um, supporting startups. Uh, it may be news or may not be news to some of you that um, at FCMB, we're not just a bank, we're a group. And within the group, um, you know, uh, are various businesses that uh, are very enthusiastic about partnering with the startup ecosystem, um, such as the Trustee Limited, that uh, has partnered with, you know, a, a recent startup, has recently partnered with a startup. And there is also the old core that is also attuned and interested in, you know, even for even investing, not only partnering, even investing with, in, in some of these businesses. So if you're on this call today and you're wondering why FCMB is sponsoring conversation around venture capital firm, we're not just a bank. We actually play in this space also. And please feel free um, after the call, or any other time to chat myself. I'll leave my details in the, in the comment section to chat me or send me an email 
pitch your idea to us and we're very glad to you know invite you over for a chat um etc so that being said we look forward to a very good time with you felix uh please take us on a ride thank you very much okay so at this juncture i will just uh, give a little bit of an introduction of who felix is right so uh, i'm pretty sure we are all interested in wanting to know who felix is so felix apparently is an experienced product strategist so you can bet that we are in good hands to actually hear a little bit of insight on how to um strategize as a product or as a start of building a product. So Felix also has founded his own tech company, which was founded in 2013 in the e-commerce and logistics space. And since then, Felix has guided startups up to 100 over in Africa, right? Uh, currently has also helped a lot of startups achieve product market fit and garner over 2.5 million in funding. Right. So at this point, I really just want to introduce Felix, uh, bring Felix on. I know Felix is on, on the call. Felix, over to you. All right. Hello, everyone. I hope you can see me and hear me. Yes, yes we can, Felix. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much uh, to um, to Passion and to FCMB for hosting me. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, and thank you also for the, uh, the kind words and the good introduction. So yes, my name is Felix Darko. I'm um, a number of things. Um, on, on one end, I am scouting for startups for Catapult BC and a number of other BCs, um, basically helping them to find you know, exciting and interesting startups to invest in. Um, at the same time, I'm also a CTO at Jamjar, um, which is uh, an event tech company in Ghana. And, you know, as, as uh, most of us millennials in this day and age, there's a whole number of other things that we're working on. Uh, but I'm here today to speak to you about VC. <clears throat> so um, I actually will be sort of taking this um, from actually the perspective of the entrepreneur. I think a lot of times we hear uh, people from VC talk about VC, but they themselves have never been um, in the shoes of an entrepreneur. I think it's very, very interesting, uh, very important sort of to understand um, how that interplay works um, when you're trying to look for investment as an entrepreneur. So I actually started um, my first business in 2013. Um, it was um, an e-commerce and logistics startups. Essentially, uh, we were doing grocery delivery, uh, grocery ordering and delivery. Um, business, the business started off doing fairly well. Uh, we had a, a partner in um, Food Lovers, which is a South African grocery chain that was moving to Ghana. Um, and so it was very exciting for us. And we started a business with a lot of high hopes. Um, but then, unfortunately, after about a year or so, our partner decided that they were not going to move into the market anymore, which basically broke our business model. Um, and we sort of over relied on that partnership to um, facilitate the existence of our business. And so once they left, the sort of business case um, left and we were left scrambling, trying to find the best ways to um, keep the business afloat. And we tried for a while, but then we ultimately realized that the sort of the unit economics didn't make sense anymore. And we had to let go of the business. Now, 
if at that time we had VC backing, it probably would have looked a lot differently. Um, but at the time, you know, I was a lot younger and a lot less oh, knowledgeable, shall we say, about the ecosystem and the space. And so it wasn't even really an option for us. And I think that kind of um, highlights one of the first major issues with sort of the investment landscape right now in Africa um, is that most entrepreneurs just don't know where to find the capital. Um, they know that, yes, we need money to, to grow and scale our business, but we have no idea where to even start looking. Um, and then the second problem there is um, then if you do know where to find investment, how do you get it? How do you make your business investment ready? How do you court um, the right investors? So it's a bit loud here. I don't know. Everybody wants to buy, buy a fancy motorcycle nowadays. But... Um, Essentially, it's one, um, the knowledge and understanding of the investment landscape, but secondly, it's um, being able to make your business investment ready. Now, investment readiness in itself also has two sides. Um, one is knowing which investment is right for you and knowing how you're going to leverage that investment to grow your business. Because a lot of people um, will get money or get investment um, and then their business will fail. I mean, we've seen this with, with countless businesses and we've seen you know, one of the most notable ones being WeWork that had hundreds of millions of dollars at their disposal and still managed to fail. Um, poor management, misuse of funds, so on and so forth. Now, on the other end, it's the internal processes and structure of the business that will allow you to be investment ready. So do you have your financials on point? Are you tracking all the right metrics? Do you have corporate governance structures in place? Um, do you, um, especially nowadays where there's a whole new space of impact investing that is becoming very, very, um, very popular. Um, so of course the traditional VC space is still there and there's still a lot of uh, uh, investors that are just looking for it big businesses that they can make a return on. Uh, but there's now a lot more uh, VCs, also um, Catapults being one of them, um, that are looking for companies that are actually creating an impact in um, the spaces that they operate in, uh, whether it's you know, the climate, whether it's women and children, uh, whether it's economic and financial uh, sustainability. And so all these things come together to create almost like a, a a new space that people need to become familiar with. And so I think it is very, it's supremely important uh, for, for entrepreneurs to take the time to really understand the investment landscape, understand what kinds of investments are out there, whether you know, you're going for equity investments, whether you're going for debt, and if you're doing equity, are you doing a safe? Is it a convertible note? Um, and so on and so forth, right? And that very much depends on where your business is, how you plan to use the money and also ultimately what what kind of investor um, it is that you're, you're you're trying to raise money from now there's a few tips and tricks um, basically to get you to that point um, like i mentioned already you definitely need to have your books in place uh, so you're tracking all your expenses and all your cash flow and everything is is hopefully also digital, right? So um, I know it might be a bit laughable to think about it now, but there's still a lot of businesses that track their, track their, um, their financials with pen and paper um, and then try and carry that over to some sort of Excel sheet or to QuickBooks or whatever it might be. Um, but that's one of the first, very most important things. 
Secondly is, is corporate governance, right? To make sure that you have um, all the right structures in place from leadership all the way down to your um, most quote unquote lowly employee uh, to make sure that you have HR policies in place to make sure that um, even the, the allocation of shares and equity be, between founders uh, makes sense and it's all in writing. You have all the, the paperwork um, and agreements to, to ratify all that uh, is very, very important, right? But that's honestly the, the, the basic side of it. That's the foundation, right? Any self-respecting investor will expect you to have all these things in place, right? And so that just gets you to the starting line then you need to understand how to sell your business, right? Your business is what it is. Some businesses are not ready for investment based on you know, where they are with traction, um, where they, what market that they're playing in, um, maybe even the, the amount of revenue they're making. There's some businesses that don't need investment. It's not even that they're not ready for it. They don't need it. You're making enough money from uh, the business itself that you can put back into the business. Um, and so some, some investors would just uh, pass on the investment, not because you're not an attractive business, but because they don't think that their money uh, will create an impact with you, right? Now, that actually creates a situation where you need to be very cautious of certain predatory investors that will force their money on you, even though you might not need it, right? Just so they can get a piece of the pie. And so you need to be um, sort of very honest with yourself and honest with your team, because getting money, somebody comes and says, you know, we're going to invest a million dollars in your business. That's instantly gets your heart beating, you get very excited. But you need to be very honest with yourself and, and have a sort of a critical look inward on whether or not that investment will actually do what it needs to do, whether that investment is necessary and what strings come attached with, um, with that investment. Some investors are very hands-off, whereas others um, become a lot more involved in your business. Some want board seats. Um, and then they, some might try and start dictating how you should run your business, where you should be doing business, how you should evolve your product, what customers you should be going after, um, ultimately for their own reasons and not, not because they have your best interests at heart. Um, so that's also definitely something to keep, to keep very um, center of mind when you are shopping for investment. Now, beyond, um, like I was saying, beyond having your books and all your processes and policies in place, um, it's about selling your business. So if you are, um, if you have done sort of the, the analysis of your business and you understand that, um, or you realize that, yes, you do need investment and you know the kind of investment that you need, um, then it's about how do I best package and sell my business so that it is attractive to investors? Um, and now I don't mean lying. Right, because there's a fine line there. There's embellishment, there's um, positioning, and then there's lying. You definitely don't want to lie about what your business is doing. You don't want to give um, inaccurate or false numbers. But you want to be able to point to the aspects of the business that will um, convert somebody into an investor. Um, sometimes it's purely just your revenue numbers, and that is what your business is. Hey, we're doing a whole lot of sales that can get some people excited. Again, sometimes it's impact. 80% of our customers are women. Um, that will get some, some investors excited. So um, it very much depends on your audience. And so what I would advise for any founder on the call is you need to have several different versions of your pitch deck. One that's for impact investors, one that is for you know, just number-minded investors, um, and so on and so forth. 
in that way, you'll be able to best position your business um, to sort of capture the right investors or capture the investors that you're looking for. Um, another thing to note here is that different stage investments have different priorities, right? So if you're a very early stage company, um, the, the investors are looking at the team, right? So it's, it's, it's the, the idea, the business, the numbers come secondary to the team because we all know that most businesses fail anyway, right? And so you're not backing the idea, you're backing the people behind it and whether or not you believe that they are capable of making it work. And so if you're, you know that you're an early stage uh, company that you should be putting your team front and center and you should be able to sell the experience that you have. You should have you know, deep industry knowledge in the space that you're working in. You should be able to share some key insights, um, especially, especially insights that maybe are not common knowledge um, and that you're able to pull on saying, you know, given that I've worked in this space for five years, for 10 years, I have noticed this very pe peculiar thing about the industry. And, I'm using um, that knowledge of the industry to be able to actually create the best product or, or create the best service. Um, and those are things that actually get, get uh, investors very excited. They're like, oh my God, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Um, let me put money behind it. Now, as you get to the later stages, um, then investors are looking more at your numbers, right? Then it's, okay. Let's say let's let's break it up. So first, in in, in the sort of medium uh, space, let's say when you're about seed stage, and we're talking about the new age of seed stage now that companies are raising millions, no, not tens of millions. Yes. Hello. Okay, maybe that was not meant for me. Um, where was I? Yes. Now the companies are raising tens of millions of dollars um, at seed stage. Um, you also need to be careful about how you position the stage of your company when you're raising and you don't get too ahead of yourself. You might think, oh yeah, this is seed. We're at seed, even though you might be best, uh, better served to position yourself as pre-seed so you can still go on to raise a much larger seed round. Um, but the point I'm making is that at sort of pre-seed level, people are really looking at the team. At the seed stage, now they're looking more at the idea does your idea hold water? Does it make business sense? Do you have the right understanding of the, of the problem space? Do you have a good problem solution fit and ultimately product market fit? Um, and these two things are distinct, right? Um, when you're building a business first, and I think with the new sort of new age of design thinking and, and approaching it from a pro problem um, centered approach, first you identify a problem and the hope is that you have a solution that solves that problem. Some people put the cart before the horse and design something first and then go out into the world looking for a problem that their solution will solve. It's not advisable, uh, but it works. I mean, a lot of people have built products uh, without really a real business case until they found one. However, whichever one comes first, you need to be sure that the problem that you are trying to solve is actually being solved by your solution. And then you need to then find product market fit, right? So, because at the end of the day, um, the, the market doesn't really care about how good your solution is. It cares about whether people are willing to pay money for it. Um, and we've seen a lot of really good solutions that just never make it uh, because people just don't buy it or pay for it. Uh, not because it isn't good, but because it doesn't appeal to them in whatever way that they expect to be appealed to. Um, whether it's 
um, what's the name of that that social media site that was big and then nobody used it anymore. I'm forgetting the name. MySpace, MySpace, right? So MySpace still worked, right? You were still able to network socially on it. Um, but because Facebook came onto the scene and provided it in a different way, people jumped over, right? And so you need to understand what your market is, what your market wants and how to appeal to that. And investors will look for that. They will look for um, you gearing your product and gearing your marketing and your sales strategy to the specific users, the specific customers that you are, you're looking to, to onboard and to make money from. Um, so at seed stage, people are looking a lot more for product market fit, problem solution fit. Um, they're looking at the idea, the business model, the revenue model. Now, even at that point, they're considering traction, definitely. Um, but traction still isn't the most um, important part of the cocktail, right? Um, there's a company recently called Nestcoin that raised around $7 million um, at pre-seed, right? And they'd only been around for about four or five months, right? They launched five months and five months into their business, they're raising $7 million at pre-seed, which is, I mean, two years ago, this would be unheard of. Now, it's not because they had ridiculous traction, but because somebody believed in the idea, believed in the team and believed that it made sense. However, when you then move to uh, post-seed or either a really late seed stage or you're getting to series A, then it's really all about traction. Then it's, because you, 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 it's unfathomable that you even get to that point without having a solid business. So if you're looking to raise at series A, then you need to have the traction to show for it. What is your revenue? How many users or customers do you have? Um, how many partnerships have you been able to close and so on and so forth. That's when that aspect of your business becomes a lot more um, important, right? Um, so, yeah, I think having, having this sort of more holistic perspective on the investment landscape and getting all your ducks in a row in all the different aspects. Again, so once you need, first you need your foundation. So that's your numbers, your, your processes, your policies, your bookkeeping. Um, then you want to have um, the extra things, right? You want to have your traction, you want to have your problem solution fit, product market fit, you want to have um, the right team um, and so on and so forth to be able to get, um, get the investment. Because getting sort of that first call with a VC is, I won't say it's easy, uh, but again, you're still at the starting line. You still need to be able to sell your business um, in a way that speaks to that particular investor's sensibilities. Again, whether it's impact, whether it's pure traction, whether it's um, the industry that you play in, because now there's a lot of VCs that also you know, only work in specific verticals. I mean, even with Catapult, um, we only invest in um, high growth, high impact startups that are within the food tech, climate tech, or agri-tech space, right? Now, of course, that's still a, a big bucket and there's a lot of ancillary industries that will play into that. Um, but again, you need to know who you're courting. You need to start building out your, your, your Rolodex or your, um, your personal CRM of investors. You need to have a good understanding of, of you know, how much money is going into the specific industry that you're working in, uh, how much is going into maybe if you have, um, and it, it sometimes it feels almost disingenuous to sort of take advantage of things like having a female founder on the team um, 
but when we live in a world where you you have to milk that, you have to take advantage of that. There's a lot of funds that are investing in female founders. Search them out. Um, the Google Black Founders Fund just just launched, and I'm assuming that <laughs> all of you, if not 99% um, of you, are black, right? So that's another thing that you should you should take advantage of. Um, and so there's there's all these different things um, that can increase your chances of of raising investment. You need to almost put them all together to have the sort of the most souped up. Uh, most attractive version of your business. Um, yes, so I hope this has sort of proved to be a bit um, insightful. I think at this point, I'm going to sort of get into the question and answer bit so I can, I can be a bit more targeted about um, some of the information that I share. Thank you very much, Felix. Um, so at this point, the session is open for questions and Felix is available to answer, right? So if you have questions that you would like to ask Felix, um, please just indicate and um, Felix, I'm pretty sure Felix will be able to answer them. And we have some questions pre um collated questions from founders. Um, we dipped into the um, startup ecosystem, dipped into different communities, and we were able to collate a number of questions that Felix um, would help us in answering. But at this point, I think we have, an, we have a participant who would like to ask a question. Is it Chi Mela Veronica? Good afternoon, good evening. Uh, my name is Ezechimla Veronica, the founder of Mela Veterinary Services. So, Mr. Felix, please, I want to know, eh, how do you get the right team? Because I saw you made emphasis on getting the right team, which comes first before others, once you want to go into the mind of a venture capitalist. So, I wanted to know, yeah. what does the right team comprise of? Well, I mean, that's a very, it's a very... Uh layered question and i i don't know if i can give you the the, the answer it's still it's not it's not an exact science right um but ultimately one it's it's expertise right industry domain expertise so if we're starting an agritech company there better damn well be somebody on the team that has some sort of a greek background has worked in the agric space if not all team members right and that's one. So then there's, there's uh, industry or domain specific expertise. The second is covering all the other bases of expertise, right? So you need somebody, you definitely need somebody that has a, some sort of finance background or experience because every business is ultimately about money. If you're building a tech business, which again, most businesses are, you need somebody with a strong technology background. Um, and then depending on the kind of business that you're running, Maybe you need somebody with a strong marketing background or a strong sales background, um, but you need to identify what those core competencies are and the kind of business that you're trying to run. And you need to have a team that covers all those bases. That's one. The second, which I would say is ultimately just as important is passion. Now, passion isn't something, and I think it's actually great that <laughs> we're being hosted by Passion Incubator, um, but passion is something that it's not really tangible. It's not, not really measurable but it's supremely impactful on whether or not your business is going to succeed. And I think passion only comes through 
let's say from the perspective of a, of a, of an investor, when they're speaking to you, it will come through in the, how enthusiastic you are when you, you speak about the problem. Some, sometimes, you know, people go off on tangents talking about a specific aspect of the problem or, or the work that they've done. And that shows that they're really passionate about it. But for you as a founder, trying to find somebody or trying to put together a, a passionate team, there's no, there's no real science to that. I think that one, you need to, you need to have the EQ to, to determine whether or not the person you're speaking to is, is really passionate about uh, the work that you're trying to do is going to put in the time and effort because a lot of entrepreneurs, um, they think, you know, we're going to make this business and we're going to hit in two years, we're going to be balling. It's, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's years and years and years of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And if you're not willing to put in that, then you, you, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be there. Um, and so you also need to see that and really have a, a deep, honest conversation with your, your co-founders about whether or not they're willing to put in the time and effort uh, to take the business to where, where it needs to be. Um, so passion is another really, really big one. Lastly, and again, I think just as important is team dynamics. So this is the, the team as a whole, right? So there needs to be in the individual core competencies. Um, then there needs to be individual passion and also a sort of a general cohesive passion, but ultimately um, there also needs to be team cohesion. Right? So you can have the, the three or four smartest people on the planet as co-founders and the business could still fail. Why? Because they can't work well together. And so that is something that you really will only be able to, um, to tell over time, right? You need to work on the business for, um, for time. You need to work with these people over time and see what their work ethic and work styles are. How does that relate to yours? Um, and especially if you are the CEO or you're the leader, um, you need to be able to, to identify this pretty quickly in your team. You need to be able to see who is you know, carrying their weight, who's putting in the effort, who isn't, what people's specific work styles are. You know, some people work at night, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm a techie, uh, so working at night is actually more my speed than waking up early and trying to orient myself. Some people don't, right? Um, and you need to be able to identify and identify as quickly as possible whether or not someone is a right fit. And if they're not, then you, you, you need to act quickly. You need to either have a frank conversation with this person about what it is that you've noticed and try and find solutions. But if there is no solution, then it's, it's better to rip the bandaid off early. Um, this is why in founders agreements, you should be putting in you know, like, like equity should be vesting. Um, it's not from the beginning that everybody has whatever, if it's four founders, we all have about 25% at the beginning. Um, the, the, the shares can be held in trust until, you know, everybody has put in the two years or three years that we think is, is necessary for all your, all your equity to vest. Um, yeah. I, I, that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think that there's those three aspects from competency to passion to team dynamics. Those are the three things that I think are most important when, when putting together your, your team. Okay. Thank you very much, Felix. Um, so we have a, a host of questions, but before we go into them, I think Chijoki Akuma, um, he's raising up his hand, then we go straight to Bright. Hi, Chijoki. Um, you can unmute and ask your question. Um, good day, everyone. Um, my name is uh, Chijoke Akuma, Project Director, Hakuna Tech Limited. 
I'm reaching you guys from Portacourt. Um, my company, we are into solar renewables. We were funded by Tony Illuminu Foundation at the first time, um, and we continue to grow. At this point, we get to a point that we need more funding because we are gradually getting understanding the rudiments of the business, changing the structures, making it more real. But now, my question is, how do we have access to, to uh, funding? What I mean by funding, like, is there linkage that we can meet up with, meet with those who can actually give us access to tell them what we do so that they can give us more funding to be able to improve on what we already have. I'm not sure I get your question. If you could summarize that again for me. Okay. My question is, how do we get to meet investors as a linkage to investors? Are they linkages as in the platform where we can meet investors, then be able to pitch what we have, give data of what we already have so that they can invest in uh, our, our company? Because as I said earlier, we, to a reasonable extent, we figured out some primary part of our company. So, and we have option like, to make good profits now, but we are being limited by fund at the moment. So can you give us linkages to meet investors? Okay. Um, so yes, um, there's, or, or rather where, where to go to find investors is actually a good question. So, um, there's a number of ways to go about this, right? One is direct outreach, right? So um, I know this exists for Ghana, um, where I currently am. I don't know if, I'm sure there should be a similar version of it um, in Nigeria and in other countries in Africa. It's, it's, a, it's an investment guide. Um, so Make It in Africa, um, which is a, a project sponsored by the German government, um, you know, undertook some research to basically identify all the, the investors in, for instance, in Ghana um, and put that in a, in a nice long PDF and it gives, you know, contact information and everything. So, so the first is just knowing which investors are out there and directly reaching out saying, hey, my name is Chijoke. I'm working on this, um, on this project or on this, on this business. And this, these are our, this is our deck. These are our financials, and and we're looking for investment, and we'd we'd love to have a conversation. Of course, a lot of people will come back and say, "Hey, no, sorry, we're not interested." Some might not even reply to you, but you reach out to enough um, investors, and somebody will eventually um, take a call with you. So that's that's sort of one of the first first ways. That's like just direct outreach. Um, the second is going to. Um, events and conferences and the likes where you know that these people will be and then networking um a lot of a lot of really big deals have come out of people just talking at an event 
and um, things coming out of that. So uh, the second thing I would say is put yourself in the spaces where you know that the people you're looking for will be. Um, take the time out to really you know, learn your elevator pitch, your 30 second pitch. You know, Hi, my name is this. This is this is what I do. This is what I'm working on. This is why it's exciting. Um, I myself in uh, 2017, when I, I first moved back to moved back to Ghana, and you know, I moved back for a job with uh, the German Chamber of Foreign Commerce as a renewable energy expert. Um, I mean, I had my engineering degree, so I thought, hey, this is what I wanted to do. I kind of left the the entrepreneurship spirit a bit behind. Uh, but after three days, believe me, three days, I quit that job because it did not, it did not fit. And I, I had to more or less figure out, well, heck, what am I doing with my life? And entrepreneurship seemed like the thing I wanted to do again. And so what I did was I signed up for a bunch of conferences and I just started talking to people. And at the time I had um, just an idea, honestly, just an idea, which started developing over time, which was um, to create bio biodegradable plastic from industrial hemp. And just that rehearse, and honestly, I would, I would advise you to rehearse it, write it down like a low script and rehearse it. And, and that got me in so many different doors. And ultimately the business itself did not, did not go anywhere. Industrial hemp is still uh, a heavily regulated um, plant. And so there's not much that could have been done there. Um, but the, the, the connections that I got from that, the, 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 um, the wealth uh, that my network took on was, was tremendous. And it's just because I put myself in those spaces, I had my, my shtick and I stuck to it. Um, so that's the second thing that I would, I would say is, you know, have, have your, your elevator pitch, go to the spaces and sell yourself. Third one I would say is, this is not for everyone, uh, but can also be um, very beneficial is looking at transaction advisory, um, which is actually something that I do myself as well. Um, transaction advisory is, is a complicated word for saying that there's people who help you fundraise, right? So for instance, for myself, if um, you're a company that's looking to raise, uh, we have a conversation about you know how much you're trying to raise, at what valuation, what are your, your metrics, your numbers, so on and so forth. And then I go out, given my network, I then go out and find um, potential investors that might be interested and sort of facilitate that connection or conversation. Um, usually you know, folks like myself will take either a small commission uh, from the fund or they'll take something called a carry where we rather try and get um, money back from the VC at your next liquidity event. So if I you know, help you fundraise now, um, let's say next year when you're then raising your seed or you're raising your series A, then I have my small percentage in there. Um, ultimately that can work really well. I think it's, it's not been a very popular um, route for people, but I think in the last couple of years, people are seeing the, the value of it and they're willing to sort of pay that small premium to be able to uh, be exposed to a much larger network of, of investors. So again, long winded answer, but those are the three, the three ways that I think you can, you can uh, find investors. Hi, um, thanks, thanks a lot, Felix. Chijoke, uh, uh, it's Abiodun. Uh, I don't know if you were here already when I introduced myself, but I will just uh, quickly do that again for the sake of everyone just joining. I head tech ecosystem and venture sourcing for FCMB. 
Um, again, um, I'd just like to say that FCMB is not just a bank. We are a group of companies and um, we are very open to partnerships, investment, acquisition, um, and any other way that you, 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 you may propose for us to work together. Um, so I would just say that you're already in the right place. Um, you have brought your idea to the right place. Like uh, Felix said, we need to go to certain places and be heard, essentially. So if you wouldn't mind, um, towards the end of this meeting, I'll drop my details. You can shoot me an email with your idea, and let's see how it goes. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. So before we actually go into the next set of questions, um, we are short for time. So we would, I, I kind of like plead with everyone to kind of like go straight to the point of your question so that we allow others, um, we allow others ask their questions and we allow Felix um, answer them as swiftly as possible. Um, so next we would have Bright Odu Onye. I'm so sorry if I didn't get that correctly, um, but um, he would like to ask Felix a question. Over to you, Bright. All right, thank you very much. So um, hello, Felix. Uh, my name is Bright. I am the co-founder of Udo. Um, uh, an online platform that's um, working like a WordPress of product design. We are basically helping startups to convert their ideas to UI UX designs in minutes. So um, the question I have to ask is with regards to the market. You made mention, you touched slightly on um, target audience and uh, target market as well. And my question is, uh, what are VCs actually looking for when it comes to target markets? And what happens when the market is new or there is um, insufficient data on actual market size? Okay, uh, thank you for your question. Now, I mean, I don't think there's, there's one thing that VCs are looking for when it comes to target markets. I think it's more about the size of the market and the sort of strength of your offering. So um, some businesses operate in a much more sort of general space. Uh, for instance, like your, your pay stacks and, the, and your flutter waves and the sort of these general fintechs, they, they have a very wide net, right? Almost anyone is a potential customer. Whereas you have some other businesses that focus, you know, very specifically on, you know, rural African rice farmers, right? That's a very specific thing. Now, the question is, how big is that market? Um, how strong is your offering? Like, um, are you, is your business poised to actually capture that market? Three, are there any major competitors that are doing what you're doing, but better? Um, those are the things that, that, that a VC would be looking out for. Now, um, you have some control over that in the way that you lay out your strategy, your, your customer acquisition strategy, your go-to-market strategy. Um, that's kind of what, what the investor is looking for. Like, do, do you really have a solid strategy that is somewhat already proven, right? So it can't just be, oh, we think that if we did it this way, but rather, you know, we've, we've 
we've run a pilot, we've run a beta test, and we've done, we've seen these results. And based on these results, we're doing this, which would then allow us to do that, right? Um, investors don't like wispy, airy, like, oh yeah, you know, just based on our intuition or based on how we feel about the market, this is what we think will happen. Um, there needs to be data, there needs to be something backing that. Now to your second um, question about um, new spaces or where there's no data. That, that I think very heavily depends on the investor um, themselves, right? Um, some investors are sort of frontier investors. They want to go into the spaces that are sort of new and uncharted because they want to be the first movers and they want to be sort of the most exciting guys in the space. Others are a lot more traditional and we only invest in, 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 in um, you know, established businesses that we know uh, will succeed based on how business has been done for hundreds of years. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely there's definitely investors out there that are willing to uh, to bet on an unproven market, but again, you need to have all those fundamentals. You need to show uh, a keen understanding of the space. So even if there isn't data, you yourself should have some data, right? At the end of the day, when you're running a business, you need to do market research. If there's no data out there on Statista or wherever it is that you know most most of us entrepreneurs like to look, then you need to go into the market yourself. Get that data. Say I've spoken to a hundred rice farmers, and based on that, I can share these insights about the problem, about the industry, about the the users or the potential customers. Then you start to give um, the investors some confidence that you actually know what you're doing, and it's not just a, a free for all. We're just going to throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. Um, so if there's no data, get your own data. Find your own data. Make it make it meaningful for for what you're trying to do. Thank you very much, Felix. Um, so before we go into more questions um, for people raising their hands, um, Silas, I see you. Um, there are a couple of questions in the chat box, which I think are interesting, and I think you would love to answer them. So uh, we have here Paul Umba. He says, what valuation methods are mostly used in Nigerian tech ecosystem? So I think that's a very interesting one. Felix, what do you think? <laughs> I think the, the, the simple answer there is, I don't know. Um, especially when it comes to the Nigerian uh, tech ecosystem. Um, but I, I would imagine that it's similar to what, what happens you know, across the continent. Now, evaluation, again, is not an exact science. Um, there's still a lot of um, academic debates about what is really um, a believable valuation and how you get there. And there's a number of ways of going there. Uh, whether it's you know your 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 um, your earnings uh, ratio or it's a discounted cash flow um, analysis or it's you know the the assets of your business and you multiply that, um, I think to be very honest with you, I think a lot of people in the African tech ecosystem are kind of just winging it and saying, hey, I think based on these few things, my company's worth this. A lot of people will also reverse engineer their valuation. So they're thinking, okay, well, I wanna raise this much money and I only wanna give away this much of my company. And so I'm gonna put my valuation around this, um, this mark. Um, and so it's, it's I, I, again, I don't have the data for this, just like we were talking about data and research, but I do believe that a lot of, a lot of valuations that we're seeing out there not the later stage ones, because those ones are then determined by 
what people have already invested. But I think the earlier stage ones, it's really people thinking, hey, I want to raise a million and I only want to give away 10% of my company. So my company has to be worth 10 million for that to make sense for me. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it goes, which is kind of also why we're seeing, you know, this great reset, um, especially in the fintech space where valuations are dropping really rapidly because it used to be a lot of hot air. It used to be, we were valued this much because people are willing to buy our equity for this much, right? It's almost like Bitcoin. There's no real intrinsic value. It's just because people are willing to pay for it that then it is that valuable. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of these things. Thank you very much, uh, Felix. So I have one very interesting question that came up as a result of what you said, Felix. And this question is from Vusa. He said, you spoke of corporate governance, HR and company legal having to be in order. As an African founder, I would like to hear from you which jurisdictions are preferable for VCs that one's company be registered in. So what do you think, Felix? In a word, Delaware. Uh, Delaware in the United States of America is, is, is sort of where most companies that are trying to um, raise money from foreign investors will register. Um, the main reason being that Delaware does not have a sales tax and has a number of other, or does not have a number of other taxes. And so you, you won't be paying many taxes if you're registered in Delaware. Um, and of course, there's other tax havens like Panama and Malta and Switzerland. These probably won't be as relevant to you as, a, as an entrepreneur or as a founder. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's even, uh, there's a lot of companies now that have made a business out of allowing you to register in Delaware. I forget the name of the company. I was actually just speaking to um, a founder from a business that does exactly that. You, you register with them and then they help you fill out all the paperwork to register your company in, in Delaware. I know Stripe also has, Stripe, the, the payments company also has um, a program where they allow or they help you register your business in Delaware. So I'd say that is, that seems to be the sort of the mecca of, of company registration for, for uh, getting VC funding. Okay, thank you very much, Felix. So we have a whole host, a, a couple of more questions actually just coming in, but we are actually short of time, but we will take one more question from those who are raising up their hands and one more question from the chat box. And if you would, like to also get your questions answered. We will share a link where you could register your questions and we will ensure that these questions are answered. So, Silas, over to you. Okay, thank you so much, Patrick. Hi, Felix. Uh, pleasure to meet you again. Uh, at least I'm putting a face to the name now. So, uh, this is Silas from Super Capital. We spoke oh, some time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have a couple of questions around um, the conversation that is going on and what you said uh, in response to one of the questions. So number one is about accelerators um, as a way for fundraising, right? And I understand that Catapult is running one accelerator right now that uh, we're interviewing for and all of that. So um, one of the things I've noticed about 
accelerators is sometimes it just goes to you. What happens? How do accelerators give feedback to founders to let them know this is what you did wrong, even though they are getting a rejection, where there is a rejection, this is what you did wrong, this is what you should do better, or else um, the founders continue to, or the team continue to progress in error and don't know what they did wrong. You know, that's one. Number two, um, about you um, as a headhunter, let me put it that way, helping founders to raise um, for a fee and all of that. I've heard that you know, a couple of times, but we've not really met someone that said, okay, I'm willing to do this. So if you, for example, you are willing to do this for us as a team at Tuba Capital, um, is it possible to have that conversation after this call, right? And um, back to the Delaware uh, conversation, right? Um, for companies that are not yet registered and are currently raising, what is the solution? Maybe when we get to that conversation or to that point where we say, okay, we're going to do this, and we're putting the agreements in front of us, and we're not yet Delaware-C um, incorporated, how do we go about that? Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you, Silas. So I'll do it in order. So the first question about um, receiving feedback. I mean, I think it's, it's a very, very good point. And it's a regrettable situation, but sometimes it's unavoidable. So for instance, I've, I've done a whole lot of hiring, especially in the last couple of years. And, you know, you put out a, a, a job description, let's say for a software developer, and you get 500 applications. It is virtually impossible to review each application in such detail that you're able to elicit enough information to be able to give high level and useful and valuable feedback to each of those 500 people, even though only one person is going to get the job. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a bit of a crappy answer, I, I know, but it's, it's the reality. Now, I, I do believe that we should put some more time into um, providing feedback to the startups, um, even if it's just a little bit, hey, we don't think you're um, you're too, for instance, we think you're too early stage or you're not in the right industry or something like that. I think those at least categories of rejections, I think should be doable. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's very operations heavy. It's very operations intensive to be able to do a very, very detailed analysis of each application and then give detailed feedback as to why. Um, and so that's just, that's my, my view on the situation. The second is, yes, Silas, shoot me an email. We can have a, we can have a chat after this. Um, and to your third question, if you're in a situation where you're about to raise money from a foreign investor, um, doing the, 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 the registration in Delaware doesn't, it doesn't take, it doesn't take very long. And you will you will be much better off for it if you if you do it um, and so you, I mean first of all receiving foreign currency in local accounts is already a nightmare. Um, secondly, you will lose out on the exchange rates. Thirdly, you might receive a bunch of um, questions from your bank and from the SEC and so on. Um, and so yeah, just just look. Look at Stripe, look at some of those other companies that are helping, helping people's re people register in Delaware and take advantage of it. I would suggest that you do it if you know that you're serious about raising and you want to raise from foreign investors, 
then I'd say go that way. It will, it will, it will go a long way for you. All right, um, so for short of time, we will just take one more question and we would let Mr. Abiodun um, do us the honors of closing. Um, so I have one question here um, that says that, okay, uh, just give me a sec. What are the biggest gaps have you observed in startups looking to raise funding? And this question is by David Owoyemi and that will be the last question we will take for today. Okay. Um, so I think every every person in the space will have a different take on this. Um, I would say for me, some of the biggest gaps that I've seen are a lack of uh, a nuanced understanding of their own business and of the, the space that they operate in, right? So um, what I was talking about earlier about having a unique insight you know, something that other folks don't really know about the space or don't know about the industry or know about your business. I think that a lot of founders will have, you know, yes, we understand what is the, the gross merchandise volume of our industry and all, all that stuff. But um, to be able to say that, for instance, like um, with Uber in Ghana, um, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, it's a similar situation in Nigeria as well, is that um, Uber drivers tend to cancel car trips right? Because on the flip side, they are not paying um, Uber their 20% uh, commission. And so every time that Uber processes a card payment, they won't remit it back to the, to the driver because the driver already owes them a lot, right? And so not everybody knows that about the industry. Right? Maybe it's not the best example, but um, for instance, if you were to be building some kind of ride-sharing platform, you to point to that problem and say that we're building a, a platform that does away with that issue. That's a unique insight. That's something that, hey, you actually really understand the space that you're working in. Um, because I've seen you know, folks that have a background in marine biology trying to you know, start a, a, a FinTech, right? And I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying that you, you need to back it up. You need to, have, you need to have those unique insights. You need to have that nuanced understanding of your space. And that is on the back of metrics and KPIs. And so all of that is to say that I think a lot of companies are not tracking company-specific and industry-specific KPIs. So fine, you'll see their customer acquisition costs, you'll see their customer lifetime values, uh, but there's nothing specific to the actual business that they're running. And so that's, I would say, one of the biggest gaps is like nuanced metrics and KPI tracking. Um, so thank you very much, Felix. Um, so we are actually short of time and we do have some pre-collated questions that Felix hasn't answered, right? Um, but we would ensure that everyone gets their questions answered. I shared a link in the chat box so you could quickly go into that link, put down your questions and we'll be sure that Felix answers them and get back to you. For short of time, I would like to bring up Mr. Biodun Lawal, who is the head tech ecosystem and venture sourcing at FCMB. Mr. Lawal, please do us the honor. So 
thanks a lot, Patrick. And thank you very much, Felix. Uh, it's been such a pleasure li listening to you again. Um, it's, uh, it's beyond, well, for me, what um, Felix has shared today is beyond something that is just in the head. Um, because our work at FCNB, we actually engage with these things day to day, wherein we're reviewing startup ideas, we're you know, considering some for investment, you know, and some for partnerships, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these things are actually very important, not only when you're raising funds, but it, it's really good that you have your company in order, you have your books, you know, properly kept, even when you're looking to partner with a company. I've seen cases where a startup has a fantastic idea, wants to partner with a company, and the company is willing to release their API to this startup. But then um, just, a, you know, a level of due diligence is carried out on the startup, and then we realize that you know, they are literally being on, on, quick, on quicksand, you know, and you know those are those are real issues that then affect you even beyond just trying to respond because with such partnerships you know with for example with a bank or with a legacy institution like a bank you know you could really grow very quickly but when you're you know you don't understand structure and you know there is the temptation for startups to want to overrate their ideas and then they just think oh my idea is you know it's the most important thing or the most brilliant thing in the world and when you don't listen to people who have some experiences on the other side um, it may be difficult for you to you know when you get to those bridge you don't realize that you have a lot you know that you did not do when you had the chance to do it so again felix thank you very much for coming up and sharing with us um before we go it's pertinent that i announce uh, or i you know inform us that my boss is also on the call. Again, speaks to our level of dedication. You know, we don't just do these things because we want to just do them. Um, but, you know, we have decision makers from the bank, you know, from the, from the business that uh, also join, you know, these conversations and they're listening in. You know, so Rolayo Akigbe is my boss. He's the head of transaction banking for FCMB. Um, I don't know if she's still here, but uh, I just thought it was really important to introduce her um, while you know we wrap up. So that'll be it for today. Um, we'll have another knowledge sharing series around something really interesting. Uh, we hope that Felix would also do us the honor to join us sometime soon. It was really good speaking and hearing you speak and also you know contributing a little quota to, to the ecosystem at large. And um, for the builders, don't forget to send me your decks, your pitch decks, um, presentation, whatever you have for possible, you know, investment. Some could be partnerships, some could be, you know, a, an outright acquisition if your idea is so fantastic and you have traction to prove that uh, you can grow. Please share those things with me. I've shared my details and I look forward to engaging you guys. So thank you everyone for joining. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you to the team. Thank you, Patrick, Kelvin and Victoria. Um, thank you again, Felix. That will be all for today. Thank you and have a good one. Bye. Bye, guys. It was a pleasure.